You're listening to the RSA Conference podcast, where the world talks security. Hello, listeners, and welcome to this edition of our RSAC 365 podcast series. Thanks so much for tuning in. I'm your host, Casey Circus, Senior Content Manager with RSA Conference. And today I am joined by Lucia Milica Stacy, who is Vice President, Global Resident Chief Information Security Officer at Proofpoint. Before we get started, I want to remind our listeners that here at RSAC, we host podcasts twice a month, and I encourage you to subscribe, rate, and review us on your preferred podcast app so that you can be notified when new tracks are posted. So before we dive into today's topic, I'd love to ask Lucia to take a moment to introduce herself. Lucia, over to you. Thank you so much, Casey. I really appreciate you having me on today. Hi, everyone. Thanks for, for listening. Um, as Casey mentioned, I'm Lucia Malika Stacy. I am the Global Resident Chief Information Security Officer at Proofpoint. Prior to Proofpoint, I serve as a Chief Information Security Officer and Chief Privacy Officer, been in technology and this space broadly my entire career and cybersecurity and privacy are both equally my passions. I'm glad to be here. And we are definitely glad to have you. So today's topic, we are going to be discussing the people-centric security framework. And I thought maybe the best place to start is to lay the groundwork for our listeners. If you could maybe explain what the people-centric security framework, which we'll heretofore refer to as PCSF, uh, what it is. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to do. But um, I just want to start by framing what we're seeing broadly from a threat landscape perspective um, and then sort of talk about the framework in under that lens. And what we see broadly is cyber criminals are continuing to target and exploit people. More than 99% of threats observed require some sort of a human interaction to execute. Threat actors will regularly leverage topical, timely, and socially relevant themes as lures and will masquerade as trusted sources and attempt to have a dialogue with their target all to establish that trust. Now, from our defender point of view, we'll say that the human factor is the last line of defense. There are a number of well-known frameworks out there and lots of advice exists to help people protect data, privacy, and devices, but minimize the implication of the human factor. Um, so the, the people-centric security framework is a risk management approach. It's not a specifically a checklist, right? So it establishes a baseline and targets for people-centric security, identifies priority areas to improve and invest in and gain shareholder consensus and buy-in, communicates the people risk states in in sort of a a risk heat map perspective. Um, And this framework is really to help organization move one step closer to having people recognized as the new enterprise edge, really focusing on people as that additional defense layer. What, you know, we have traditionally focused on is that perimeter first security with the acceleration of 
everything digital transformation and and SaaS platforms, right? We have grown, our, our global digital economy has grown to heavily depend on various different, you know, SaaS platforms, SaaS providers, et cetera. And that traditional perimeter first approach no longer suffices, right? We need to take this step back and recalibrate for the threat management evolution by incorporating people-centric threats into our overall risk management strategy. Um, that means that people are that additional defense layer. Um, and in order to really better understand a person's risk to that organization, we need to start looking at what's the probability of reach based on a person's attack surface? What is the likelihood that that person will be compromised? And then what is my impact to the organization if the person is compromised? You know, listening to you, I hear you mentioning all aspects of the human element, right? We're talking about managing risk. You mentioned people-centric threats. You mentioned the person's attack surface. And part of the reason why we're having this conversation today is to help our listeners mitigate risks related to people. So the framework, as you mentioned, exists to address these risks. And I would love to know from your experience, what have you seen that are the greatest people-centric risks? There are quite a few of them, um, but I'll start with email. And and the reason why I like to talk with email is just thinking through broadly, right? Ransomware, for example, has been dominating the news the last couple of years. And according to data from Palo Alto Network, 75% of ransomware attacks start with email. 90% of successful attacks are via email. So email continues to be one of the tools that threat actors are using. And email scam scam has a low entry barrier for cyber criminals with a high value return, right? Those emails are very easy to create, require little technical knowledge, and most importantly, depends solely on the victims clicking to succeed, right? But threat actors are becoming more adept at incorporating phone calls, website, texts, and even traditional snail mail to create a convincing facade to fool their victims, um, to develop the fakes. Um, that also raises concern on how this technology can be exploited broadly on attacks. And this is just one example. You know, security-focused decision makers have prioritized bolstering defenses around the, the physical and cloud in- infrastructure, which has led to human beings becoming that most relied upon entry point for for compromise, right? So as a result, a wide array of content and techniques continue to be developed for exploiting that human behavior and, and interest. So it's interesting, you know, thinking about some of the things that you've said, you talked about the human as the last line of defense. I've also heard the human as the first line of defense. And I'm wondering, you know, which of those is more effective and do we really even want either? But what are some of the ways that this framework will help organizations minimize the implication of these human? And and I think in the context that we're talking about, we mean the users as the human factors, right? 
Exactly. We're thinking through our, our employees. I think really whether it's first line or last line of defense, whichever way you want to, um, I think it's semantics, whichever one you look at it, I think the most important piece is that we need to focus on people defense layer with the same meticulousness as we do with network endpoint application or data security methodologies. And to your question around how is this framework helping organizations, the framework focuses on uh, overall maturity model going from level zero or initial to, you know, as you move on to level two, one, two, three, four, is identifying what are the capabilities that I need in my organization to help move from a early stage in focusing on people-centric controls to more mature stages. So I'll give you an example, right? I, you know, as part of the framework, mature perimeter security is a baseline, a foundational item. So this is not at the expense of following any of the frameworks out there. It's really considering mature perimeter foundational security as the baseline to start. Um, but from that, as, as you think through a maturing, you know, do you have a culture of security, right? Have you been able to move from security awareness to security behavior to, to culture of security in your organization? Do you have, um, for example, social profile protection? Do I have a strong identity and access management? Do I have a strong insider threat management program? Do I have visibility into cloud account forensics, specific modern email fraud enforcements, getting down to the the more mature programs to where you actually are understanding risky behaviors within your organization, understanding at, at proof point, we have the concept of use the very attack person. Do you understand who are the most attack folks into your organization? Do they have access to sensitive information? Are they behaving in risky ways? And then from there, adapting particular controls based on the individual risk profile. And as you're sharing that response, I was thinking about executives and C-level and even beyond that may have access to critical data, but they're accessing it on their personal devices, right? Is there an element of the framework that extends beyond the traditional network and may encourage security teams to understand how to protect their executives really more in like their personal lives than in their profession, because those lines are so blurred. A hundred percent, Casey. That's it. That's exactly it, right? The framework is taking all the various data points and understanding how we engage with technology. So in thinking through that risk profile, right, is understanding is, you know, are all your users, including, of course, executive team and the various employees from different parts of the organization. What we actually found is, interestingly enough, while threat actors tend to go after some of the executives, generally they're not the ones that are the biggest targets. Um, you'll have, you know, depending on the industry, um, you may have folks in payroll being more of a target or, mm. or revenue department or in healthcare industry, for example, seeing folks that have access to Medicare Education, um, that could be more targeted than your executive team. But overall is taking all the telemetry and looking at the behavior, 
right? Mm-hmm. Do I connect from um, unprotected Wi-Fi regularly? Do I have multi-factor authentication? Do I use that? Do I have adequate password practices? So all of those behaviors are coming in and, you know, we're often analyzing to understand how that behavior can impact the risk for the organization. And, you know, for most organizations, right, a multi-layer protection is the best strategy against, for example, social engineering emails, right, with the most important principle being that placement of people at the center of their security strategy, right? So as we're thinking through this, it's really critical to understand which users are most targeted, right? As I mentioned in proof point, we refer to those as the very attack people. But then from there is which of them are the likeliest to fail for a social engineering that phishing attacks rely on? You know, users, again, whether it's first or last line of defense, they're the critical line of defense, right? And it's really important that we focus on, on bringing in those, those right control, whether there's security education to provide that foundation to assure that you can identify a phishing email and can easily report it, but also just that broad awareness on how do we engage with technology, how much personal information one want to put on, for example, on social media, right? Threat actors are leveraging social media as their playground and leveraging that against us to profile us, to, to build that trusted relationship with us and obviously um, ultimately in attempting to trick us in that process. Mm. So I want to get back to something else that you referenced was humans at the enterprise edge, right? Making humans the new enterprise edge. Can you just elaborate for our listeners, what does this mean to you and how could something like this framework help security teams to achieve this goal? Yes, 100%. I would say, as I mentioned, that the traditional, just thinking through the digital ecosystem that we rely on today, right? Traditionally, we're, we're more used to all of our data within our own control in our data center and focusing on that, that network or perimeter security that we, you know, those of us that have been in the space for as long as I have been, we focused on that heavily. As we moved everything to the cloud, you still need to focus on foundational perimeter security, right? The entry points have changed dramatically. So I'll give you an example in the Verizon data breach report. Um, it was really interesting to see, I believe that's the 2022, the one from last year, that only 3% of data breaches had a technical element, a technical vulnerability, or they're a result of a technical vulnerability, as opposed to the majority of it involving that human element. So when I talk about people becoming the new perimeter or the new edge is they are the conduit to data. And that is what threat actors are leveraging to gain access into our environment, whether they look for credential phishing or social engineering, you name it, that human element is at the core of the majority of incidents today. Um, hence why we really need to hone in into what, who are the risky user? We need to hone in into understand the behavior of our user community and bring in adaptive controls for each one of those risk profile. Having blanket controls to what we traditionally used to focus on 
But having blanket controls that apply to everybody, yes, well, we need to have a layer of that as a defense layer. We need to add additional controls for some of the, the riskier user in the organization. So as I think through the various different applicability and that how this helps organizations, right, is, is understanding from a people, right? We always talk about people process technology, right? From a people perspective, do we have leadership messaging that aligns with, with our culture? Do we have people-centric risks that align to our broader enterprise risk management governance? Um, do we look at specific specific people-centric threats and understand how that impacts the overall risk to the organization, that it's this really critical. Um, I'll give you, you know, some specific examples and the way I like to look at this. So, well, the framework focuses on, you know, takes into account the NIST-CSF and privacy frameworks, looks at MITRE and then continuous improvement plans, right? You always have to, to go through you know, what's the baseline type of controls for for one person, but then what does that look like, for example, for people that are habitual clickers in my organization, or, you know, for people that have access to sensitive data, but at the same token, they have more of a risky behavior, right? What are those additional um, controls? So, so this is more of a, a detailed analysis in looking through, um, let's say, for example, one control for emails, looking at credential phishing target, right? We can say, for example, we found someone that's a you know, very attack person in a particular department and sort of a level one of controls would be something that we want to apply. There's sort of a strict layer of controls that we want to apply when we know that this particular person was a credential phishing target. Now, we're going to ratchet up the controls a little bit to a more of a stricter level when the same particular person may have been a target several times in a, a three months period, right? You want to go to an even stricter layer of, of controls when the same person now has been attacked, say double four times in, in six months. So this is sort of a, an example of how you have to think through on each one of the particular tactics. What are those layer of controls? So that can be say level one, for example, on the same persona that I'm describing may potentially have you know, develop credential phishing policy, monitoring of user account access regularly, making sure that that particular person has regular phishing simulation, you know, that you have a specific alert and spam threshold for them, but also that you perhaps have personal email protection because, you know, this person is a target. They can potentially log in to their personal email from their work computer. You want to make sure that you have those right protection in place to address some of those challenges. Now, when I talk about a stricter level, maybe that I bring in cloud accounts, defenses and, and alerting, maybe potentially looking at DMARC authentication domains um, as another example. Um, so those are just some specifics on taking uh, credential phishing target as, as one example on how we're able to adapt the controls based on every individual risk profile.
Lucia, you have certainly given us really great solid examples of why such a framework should be part of an organization's risk management process and cybersecurity program. Before we wrap up, do you have any parting words of wisdom for our listeners? I do. I would say that one of the really critical aspects is we all know in this industry, it's really important to work towards building a culture of security. So while many of us had to go through that once a year, check the box exercise on security training, it is really imperative that you understand the behavior, understand how people learn. And really through building that culture of security, we take that lens of educating them that it is everybody's responsibility. I know in, in our industry, us as security leaders, we always talk about it, but, but really making your employee allies in understanding the importance of security, the importance of data protection, but really us on the security defenders line Understanding how people learn is really important. Just user awareness alone does not lead to behavior change. And and bringing that as a component of your broader people risk management strategy is really critical. Thank you so much. Lucia, I really appreciate you taking the time to be here with us today. Listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. To find products and solutions related to the human element, we invite you to visit rsaconference.com forward slash marketplace. Here you'll find an entire ecosystem of cybersecurity vendors and service providers who can assist with your specific needs. Please keep the conversation going on your social channels using the hashtag RSAC and be sure to visit rsaconference.com for new content posted year round. Thank you all.